Well, Brent is gay, and Caitlin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Welcome to Homer Superior's Creator Crush Series. I'm Caitlin Batia, and along with me is Adam Kasari, who's never met a pun that he didn't love. Yes, the only jokes I love more than puns are my four other co-hosts on this wonderful podcast. <laughs> almost almost nailed like, it. Wait, don't be self-deprecating. Say it's a wonderful <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Give him a break. He just came down from that huge note he just hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and can you imagine that we said, I'm the good one at singing the <laughs> out here? It's just a climbing scale. It's it's rough. Yeah, that's, that's Christine Daae in the house. <laughs> a little uh, wait, uh, Adele Dazim. <laughs> the wickedly talented Adele Dazim. Yeah. Well, Creator Crush is an interview series where we chat with our favorite comic book creators, learning more about their work, their thoughts in the industry, and what makes them so darn special. And you've heard his voice already, but today we're joined by the lovely and talented Anthony Oliveira. Hello. Was I not supposed to interrupt? Sorry, I already. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is exactly how our podcast works. We just interrupt one another. So you're already okay, good. You're the sixth member. Right. Okay. You bring some homosexuals into a room and it just becomes a cackling match. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, he's written some of our favorite recent Young Avenger stories, a touching and romantic tale in the queer anthology Young Man in Love, and an absolutely fantastic short story in last year's Marvel Voices, uh, the Pride Edition. We also had the pleasure of meeting Anthony in person at FlameCon in New York City this past August, where he, along with several other creators, commented on queerness in the comic book industry. Anthony, I borrowed your hat. You. I, and I borrowed your hat. I stole your Magneto helmet. Yes. Oh, um, yes. No, we're going to get into the helmet. We're the Magneto <laughs> helmet. So plenty of questions about that. Yeah, it's a sharp, it's a sharp one. It's like a 3D print job, right? Yeah, it is. And I did a poor job of sanding it down. So I've worn it now twice. Mm. Once at FlameCon, once at New York Comic Con. And I cut myself. Quite, <laughs> yeah, quite, I don't, quite I'm many not, times. I was in danger. I felt like I was in danger of it. I, I got this schnoz on me. And I feel like that point of that, that nose piece was about to get in me. So well, um, I've got a yeah, I've got a big nose myself. And it clearly, oh, man. Fashion is, is uh, suffering. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> what did Miranda Priestley teach us? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not hurting when the night is over, your outfit was not fierce enough. There you go. Um, well, well, actually, no, before we jump into questions, because we did this with Josh as well, Josh Trujillo is, oh. what is going on with Snap? We hear you're playing Snap, Anthony. I am playing Marvel Snap. I am fresh and new at it, um, but I am deeply and profoundly addicted already uh according i'm holding it right now <laughs> according to this i started playing like a few days ago and i'm at the green numbers at 231 and the i'm middle gold i'm level 45 i'm trying to get to platinum in the next few days yeah um but i am what deeply is, di addicted to this what deck are you running with do you like a discard a destroy, uh, a i tried a destroyer deck for a hot minute because i finally got some cards that let me destroy i had the lady sif and apocalypse going yeah. for a yeah. minute but i found that i was wasting so much energy just trying to play cards to kill them that now i'm running uh like an odin deck okay like okay. like a odin is my like level six and I've got uh, Spider-Woman in there, Groot, yeah. and then like a lot of level threes. I, I just got the 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 Storm variant. Oh, so, that's very yeah. cool. That variant's also beautiful. I love to like, I play this as like a psychological game. I like mislead someone and then just flood the zone so they can't play there anymore. Yeah. Um, 
yeah it's fun i also play a lot of like psychological games with the emojis just to like distract them <laughs> oh yes <laughs> do, which one do you do do you do kamala khan do you do deadpool do you do spider-man i always open with a thumbs up and if they if they kill me with an electra i always give them the deadpool yeah uh and then i just hit them with a lot of spider-mans anytime we play the same card as each wow. other yeah um i feel like there's a lot of aggro douche heads on here who i'm <laughs> deeply annoying <laughs> My favorite is like you can't actually interact. Like all you can do is like choose the emojis, choose the chat, and you're like, these fuckers are so rude. And I'm like, there's literally yeah. no way you can't. This 13 year old I'm bullying online. Yeah, exactly. I, I will say when everybody says I'm losing, they're about to kick my ass by like putting down, I don't know, something, yeah, like what, whatever card. Oh, uh, Shang-Chi. And then like destroying any card I have over nine. And I'm like, you motherfucker. I got hit with my first Shang-Chi earlier today. So I didn't even know that was a card. And suddenly my devil dinosaur was gone. And I was very yes. mad. Devil yeah, Dinosaur is the best too. Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl together. That, yeah. Like, it's such a great combo. And then Shang-Chi comes in and fucks it all up. They so really like, did a good, this is not a Marvel Snap podcast, but they really yeah, did. It, but almost <laughs> we fucking love that game though. So we're always going to start wherever we can to yeah. promote that people need to play it. They did a good job. Like whenever I think about the way like a character's power is reflected by their card, it's like, oh, that's so clever. Like, yes. yeah, yeah. Xavier would shut them down and Emma would like co-opt their best person. Like it's really smart. Absolutely. A gorgeous game. Yeah. Um, but Anthony, this podcast isn't about Snap. It's about you. So let's Yay. get deep. Uh, let's talk quickly about your secret origin story. How did you get into comics? Like as a kid or like as a creator? Yeah. All the above. All the time mm. in the world to take us on that journey. Uh, I am of a certain age, I guess. I, uh, I, I think in retrospect, it's clear that what happened to me is I got swept up in the sort of marketing around the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont, X-Men number one. Like that was, yeah. that was the moment, but I didn't know that's what was happening. I liked mm -hmm. Spider-Man. Um, I was, I was reading Spider-Man because I got a free copy of a comic along with my Jiffy peanut butter uh, <laughs> in which Spider-Man, it must've been Canadian cross promotion because Spider-Man was trying to stop Electro from dealing drugs. He was smuggling into Montreal in hockey pucks. So specific. I, yeah, I don't think of Electro as a drug dealer anymore, but he was at the time, I guess. It was every like a villain, every Marvel villain in the 90s was a drug dealer. But yeah, yeah they it's always true, had yeah. Drugs. Nancy Reagan has a lot yeah. of before. <laughs> yeah, crime boss Nancy Reagan was really running the show <laughs> back then. Uh, what the real drug they were addicting us to were these like unregulated brands. <laughs> but, um, right. but I definitely was a child of the Reaganite 80s, just like He-Man and G.I. Joe and X-Men. So I went into a, do Americans have scholastic book fairs? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I went in there and I was looking for some Spider-Man stuff and uh, they had none, but they did have this uh, X-Men manual. And it was just bios of these characters who I had never seen or read anything about, but I became obsessed and I just spent a lot of time buying at the time executioner song was coming out or oh, yeah. maybe it wasn't. It's just in those bags that were easy to find in black and back back issues <laughs> with the, uh, the, the trading card that came with the with trading that. card. Oh, yes. The with the, the holograms. Yeah. With strife in his like purple gay slam book prose talking about <laughs> how much he fucking hates Mr. Sinister and stuff. And, um, and I was, it was like magic because it was like Executioner Song is such a bloated crossover. And it's like, I know who that guy is in the background. That's strong guy. His powers are this, this, and this. Like, 
So that magic, I've been chasing that high ever since, I guess. <laughs> um, as far as creating, I finished my PhD uh, five years ago now. Geez, the pandemic really swallowed time. Yeah. Um, and I very quickly realized I had completely misunderstood everything about my future. <laughs> I did a, <laughs> my, <laughs> my uh, PhD work was in uh, 17th century religious literature. And it really wasn't until I... The original X-Men, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> As we know, uh, Jesus the Christ turns out to have been an Omega-level mutant if you talk to Exodus <laughs> about it. Um, but I realized, oh, wait a minute. People who are hiring for this job want people who are religious. <laughs> like, it was like these uh, terrible, terrifying schools in America that were like... Uh, please sign our covenant agreement that you will have no sex before marriage or drink on campus. And I was like, oh, okay, academia is dying. And just by accident, um, my career started turning more towards the public eye. I started writing pieces and they were doing well enough that I, I kind of accidentally missed the recruiting period for that year. And I haven't really looked back. I've been writing ever since. Amazing. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about your articles, which are certainly fantastic. Um, before we do that, let's like dive into this Marvel stuff. So you sure. did write uh, for Pride um, issue last last month or last year, early thaw. And so this was yes. definitely one of our favorite stories. I remember on the podcast, we were all gushing over it before. We were like, we met you in person. We're like, we'll go gush gushing over you there. <laughs> you talk about the uh, inspiration for this this tale between young Bobby Iceman. We call him Bobby Iceman all the time. And it's like Bobby Iceman, yeah. Bobby, Bobby Iceman. Iceman, yeah. He's Jewish, Bobby Iceman. <laughs> and uh and Magneto. I mean, just kind of maybe if you would also like give us a little quick sell to the audience in case they haven't read it. Just what's what's oh sure. Uh well, okay. Early thought is um uh, maybe it's easier to talk about how I came to approach it and then I'll give you the plot. Um <laughs> So Marvel came to me and they were like, hey, do you want to be in this anthology? Um, and if you do, what are some stories you were thinking of telling? Um, and I pitched three or four because the thing is, they have to balance like, OK, you can't have this character because someone else wants this character and that sort of Toy thing. Box, yeah. Yeah. So you got to you got to clear with them so that they know every character is being serviced. And no matter what you do, fans will still complain. But like anyway, so I sent them a few um, one of which actually ended up being the one where I was like, there's no way they'll ever print this, but it did actually end up being part of my infinity comics, which was the, um, the speed and prodigy story yeah. that's in that story. Um, but, uh, one of the ones I pitched was a, an Iceman story and Iceman to me has <laughs> Bobby Iceman and I share quite a few <laughs> quite a few parallel traumas um and I have known Iceman was gay since before I knew I was gay because I grew up in the 90s when Bobby had a secret Bobby had something that was keeping him from realizing his true potential and he keeps trying to tell people what it is and they keep making jokes about him being an interior decorator and all this stuff, but he doesn't quite say what it is, right? Like I that was, it was gonna be the chain wallet at the bookstore with uh, yes, the purple <laughs> pants in the in the Barnes and Noble with Jean Grey, yeah. Um, so the story I and and the flip side of this is that there is a segment of the population, a really horrible. I don't even want to call them fans, but these kind of people who 
love to say that Bobby was turned gay, right? right. Um, that he was just selected at random in a draw to become the gay character. Um, or even worse, they say that Jean Grey turned him gay, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Um, and I really wanted to do a story that was both about that kind of paralyzing fear of coming out and touching upon Charles Xavier's monstrous um, behavior in raising these children and teaching right. them the most important thing you can do is hide who you are, right? Strap mm-hmm. down your wings and... Um, wear these special shoes that hide your big feet and all this stuff and sunglasses that people don't think you're that you you're holding something back right right um and the initial pitch was a little longer and a bit more montagey because what i really wanted to do uh at first was uh show all the moments in bobby's history where he almost comes out on the page, like mm-hmm. stories I didn't write, but that happened, right? Like, like right. the Barnes and Noble thing you were talking right. about, like the scene where Emma Frost, who has been inside his mind, knows what's going on and is making her interior decorating jokes. And is like, mm-hmm. I can't help you until you're willing to talk about this. Right. Um, and telescoping back and further back each time until we arrived at X-Men 11, which is the Stanley Kirby story that begins this comic where um, obviously probably not Stanley's intent, but very clearly a parallel moment where Bobby is helping uh, Warren strap down his wings. And he asks him, do you really think it would be so bad if people knew about us? Um, and, uh, and, and Warren is like, of course, it would be the end of everything. And I just thought about how heartbreaking that would be for a young queer man to hear, especially one who is so obviously in love with Warren Worthington, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And as I developed it, I decided it might be more valuable to just focus on that one moment and just insert the story Lee and Kirby couldn't tell and didn't know to tell and didn't know how to tell. Mm -hmm. And just let I sort of imagined it was a moment where the camera stays on the other person instead of following Gene and Bobby off on their vacation, which is where they're headed. Mm -hmm. So the school is abandoned. Bobby is this is the story that isn't printed now. Bobby is alone at the school right after this moment and he goes (laughs) running off into the campus grounds although he does not know it he is actually parked underneath the Ngeri cairn which summons demons on Xavier's campus (laughs) (laughs) so if you look at the background of that scene you'll notice he is standing in front of this very strange um obelisk uh and uh while he's crying Magneto approaches with several missiles to teach Charles Xavier a lesson and recognizes this young man is crying and uh now officially the first person bobby drake ever came out to was uh magneto so that's the story of the comic um i what i love about it um a lot of things i love about it clearly using the subtext of mutants and the x-men being queer um and then making a text uh which is something i always you know think about i'm the one who mentioned that on podcast uh, also, you canonically have said Magneto is right and Professor X is wrong. That's something that we say on podcasts <laughs> all the time. Uh, so yeah, yes, and Professor that's, X is a monster. And I think that's now, as more um, queer and other marginalized groups are allowed to come to the table and tell these stories, I think that's now canonical, right? Like that is Absolutely. now the status quo. In fact, that is what the Krakoa era ultimately acknowledges, right? Is like, we're not going to hide anymore. Um, we're not interested or capable 
um, of just uh, blending in to your society, nor does it right. interest us anymore. Right. Um, I do well, think Krakoa sure. is the beginning of something rather than the end point. I think there's stories to go on past this, um, but I am glad that it is funny that as soon as you kick open that door, it's like, oh, no, wait, the Brotherhood has been right this whole time. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're really showing the fallibility of older white men, which is always something that I enjoy. So. <laughs> Yeah, the only nice thing to say about Charles Xavier is he is learning finally to uh, let other people sit at the table with him, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I mentioned Executioner's Song earlier. He really does give a speech at the beginning of that story arc in 1991 uh, that basically sums up everything that is best about him, but also where his end point has come. And it... There is a universe where Charles Xavier has been dead since 1991. And I think that would be an interesting one to think about just because yeah. he his martyrdom for this cause was an interesting one. Um, but I'm glad he's I'm glad Chuck is learning at least. <laughs> yeah, he's he does remind me uh, of like the kind of the older gay man who, you know, uh, had to assimilate and then now is like a major donor for the human rights campaign. And it's like, right. well, they'll just, they will just, if only we're a little less loud, a little less, you know, flamboyant, we'll be okay. You know, I wouldn't say he, I'd go as far as saying he's a log cabin Republican, but no, like, but he definitely donated to like Buttigieg's campaign. Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. So there's a little bit, oh my God, that's great. He doesn't know what the kids are talking about with all their Very pronouns good. and stuff. Right, yeah, right. yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> But I will He's say trying. We, talk, we did talk about this at the start of the podcast uh, at FlameCon. I was I did go in Magneto cosplay. You wore my helmet and I didn't even think about it until after when I reread Early Thought. It's like, oh, my God, I was Magneto and you were Bobby Iceman. Yes. And we recreated that scene <laughs> IRL and it made me so happy. I am a big I love a Magneto. I actually let me turn the camera um, up top there. That's my Magneto helmet right there. Oh, prop movie prop rec- replica. I don't want to tell you how much it cost, but it is a <laughs> it is an icon. I think Matt that matters a lot to me. Not just um, I mean Magneto matters a lot to me. It's it was important, just as important as putting Iceman in that scene was putting Magneto in that scene because yeah. um, when I was a kid growing up in a conservative Catholic background, hearing about how awful I was. Meanwhile, on TV there and in the books I was reading, there was this man who said, yeah, you want to call me a fucking demon? Let me show you just how powerful we can be. We won't just roll over um, and let you take this world from us. So Magneto means a lot to me. I don't have any tattoos, but were I to think about one, a Magneto helmet would not go amiss, I don't think. Oh, I yeah. thought you were gonna get a giant M on your eye. Sure, yeah. I mean, I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like really good first thing. You don't have any tattoos, but I think that's the exact place. A facial tattoo. Yeah. yeah. Loving it. And it just says, I was right underneath it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So on my, my cheek. My... Uh, I'm a longtime X Men fan too. And I used to buy the classic X Men reprints. Oh, uh, yes. Which had, you know, Claremont and John Bolton usually like, doing um like the backup stuff that was like added more context mm-hmm. and i the one that i remember is um you know flashes back to magneto's past when you realize he's a holocaust survivor and like when he's in that like that eastern european village and now uh, his wife and child die and the villagers don't 
help them because he's different and then he like his power manifests and it's just like finally you have context of like why he is the way he is and I, I love nothing more than like a misunderstood villain who turns into an anti-hero who turns into a hero so but let's yeah. switch gears a little sure. bit um we've been talking a lot about the x-men but we want to talk about our favorite couple in marvel it's billy and teddy yeah. thing. <laughs> uh you've written uh them almost uh i wouldn't say exclusively but a lot of your marvel work has been focused on them and the young avengers over the last few years uh what's your draw to these characters uh who uh, to the young avengers or to billy and teddy specifically all the above um Billy and Teddy are a dream to write because um, kind of for the opposite reasons as Bobby. Like Billy and Teddy got everything that Bobby didn't. They got to come out young. Uh, they got to tell their parents. Well, one of them got to tell their parents uh, as as I have now written it. Both sets of parents knew, but um, they came out and were beloved uh, they met the love of their life in high school and have been together ever since. Um, and when I was a kid, as I said, I was like a baby when I was reading the X-Men. But when Young Avengers started coming out, I remember the moment like magic when it was like, oh, my God, this is not subtext. Like this is happening right. in front of my eyes month to month. These characters, it is not my imagination. I am not shipping. These characters are flirting. Um, and at a moment when I was like 13, that really changed my life. Um, and so the idea of getting to continue their story and hopefully enrich and deepen their story has always been appealing to me. The Young Avengers in general, I really read Young Avengers as um, the story of what it's like to have grown up and inherited a world and realizing you're not sure about the people you inherited it from. I think the Young Avengers emerge at a very specific kind of post 9-11 Iraq war moment mm -hmm. when, I mean, the Avengers mansion is in ruins, right? The Avengers are disassembled and all these heirs to the Avengers legacy are like, is this what we want? Like, there's a reason the Avengers read as a kind of weird villain in a lot of young Avengers stories. Like Captain America, like are trying to stop them from doing what they're doing. And Iron Man right. keeps showing up and being like, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was very much the experience of growing up in the early 2000s and watching the whole world suddenly ignite into a war that was on its face, very po obviously pointless. Right. Um, so having them still be those kinds of figures matters a lot to me, too. Um, what I've also loved about uh, how you've written specifically Billy and Teddy is um, it's been a lot of these quieter moments during these big crossovers, last annihilation, excuse me, War of Realms, uh, things like that, Empire. You know, can mm -hmm. you talk about you know what drew you to um, like write these like like personal stories while worlds are literally being destroyed? Yeah, um, I I remember when I was really young, I read an essay by Stan Lee introducing one of those Marvel anthologies, um, maybe it's an X Men anthology specifically. Uh, and he says in it, I remember this like so clearly. He says in it, like, I'm going to tell you the secret of writing the X-Men. It's just a soap opera. Mm -hmm. um, it's a soap opera where the characters have superpowers, but the audience only cares about them because of the quiet moments. The audience only cares about the fight between Blob and the X-Men or whatever because of the scene before it or after it. And that's a story beat I think about a lot. I think it informs a lot of my fiction. Um, 
there's a moment in um uh there's a movie with uh, called me and orson wells it's been kind of buried but it was mm-hmm. zach efron <laughs> playing oh, a young yeah. page boy uh in a production at the mercury theater of orson wells's and it's based on orson wells's own notes in staging julius caesar and there's a scene in it where they're doing the very quiet scene before the battle where uh, Brutus is preparing for battle and he's looking for a book in his pocket and he can't find it. And he's talking to the page boy and the kid's fallen asleep and he says, let him sleep. And in it, he says, you don't understand, this is the most important scene in the play. Um, If the audience cries for Brutus at the end of the play, they cry for Brutus because of this scene. Right. And it's a scene that gets cut every time people stage Julius Caesar because it does nothing for the plot. And to me, those are always the most important scenes, and you will always see them in my work. I love a battle scene, but a pointless battle scene makes no use to me, except if that is the backdrop of these more personal moments. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm always interested in, like, what what makes these characters tick? It's why these characters, when I'm writing them, always end up at, like, lunch, coffee, trapped in a room, because I want to see them talk to each other. I want to understand why they do the things they do. Otherwise, it's just, like, smashing action figures together yes well one character who has had significant amounts of development during uh your writing is crystal macron from the house yes. of <laughs> <Carnation>. <laughs> yes so yeah, featured yeah, yeah. both lords of empire uh emperor hulkling one shot and then my drag bunch with loki story and war scrolls you know I'm an aspiring amateur drag queen myself. Uh-huh. What kind of queen is Crystal? Is she a comedy prop? Ah, that's very interesting. I worked in a drag bar for several years. Um, and now I program a movie series where I feature drag queens, uh, drag performers uh, in the acts. Um, like we we had Priyanka on stage before she won Drag Race. We had Halal Bay on. We had... Yavska and a seance. Oh my God. Yavska's um, been with us. I think Yavska's are most performed with us more than any other performer, actually. Um, so I came up, I grew up and got to know the queer scene through drag. Um, Crystal is a very, you always put something in your story for next time. Um, and Crystal's story has been a long time in development. Uh, The Infinity comic I most recently did ends with the biggest hint as to what her deal actually is, because she's not just a she's not just a background character after all. Um, What kind of performer is she? I think she is an absolute stunt queen. Um, She is a dancer. She will lip sync for her life. Um, but she she has she has some things to say that she hasn't yet had a chance to say. Um, and I'm excited to see if that ever happens. Well, so, yeah, it's it's let's say it's drag race Marvel. Uh-huh. It's the lip sync smackdown challenge for the crown. And you've uh-huh. got Crystal McCron and Dark Vale. Sure. Who, who is what are they singing? And then which one? Is that <laughs> gonna take? Well, I'm not going to pit. I'm not going to pit two bad bitches against each other. <laughs> <laughs> You'll both win a thing. All right, yeah. Leaving that aside. All-star season lift, two. Yeah. It's Rihanna. Shut up and drive. <laughs> yes. Lift everybody up. Yeah, any big songs that you think would be an amazing hit for them? Yeah. Um, I think, I don't, I don't think she is, 
Hmm. See, I'm a Jim Steinman fan. Like, John, like I think it might be a total eclipse of the heart. Ooh. It might be. It's it's all coming back to me now. I would do anything for it. love. Like that's the kind of track. I think she's more of a Dragula girl than a Drag Race girl. I think she's yeah. um she's got that she's got that Shi'ar tech, you know. Like <laughs> so, right. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, you'll have we'll just keep reading to find out. I think. Yeah, if I yeah, if I'm ever back. <laughs> <laughs> well, contrasting the you know sort of intimate stories that were obviously built within giant expansive plot lines, um, looking at that compared to your Marvel Unlimited Young Avengers mini, which was much more sort of action intensive, still featured a lot of characters, but was really driving towards this big sort of epic conclusion. Um, are you going to continue to write these characters? Have your has your phone been blowing up? Um, we actually have somebody from Twitter, Christopher Fakin. Who specifically want to know oh, yeah. when are you writing this ongoing? <laughs> hey, Chris. Um, I would love to do it. I I do get a lot of messages about from fans asking when I'm going to do it. I am down. I'm perfectly happy to come back. I I have a lot of stories I'd love to tell with these characters. They are very near and dear to my heart, um, and I feel like there's a lot of stories left to tell. Um, I I hope if if you want me to write it don't tell me because i you don't need to sell me on it i need everyone to tell <laughs> tell the office tell the editors just tell marvel uh that's the way to go there's definitely um depends on which office you're looking for but there are email addresses on their website and i think marvel heroes is the one that controls the young avengers and the avengers licenses mm -hmm. i would love love to be back well um, Anthony, in my day job i work in politics i'm a campaign manager i run grassroots campaigns i am ready to oh, the best deal <laughs> for Marvel, so to speak, to make sure you're writing these characters. I mean, I've I've been a fan of Young Avengers, Alan Heinberg, Kieran Gillen. Um, uh, I think you're like the next, you're the heir to the Empire, so to speak. Oh, those are big um, shoes to fill. Jeez. They're very big <laughs> shoes to fill, but like I've I've loved it, and like I'm I'm very uh, I'm critical of like people who write these characters because in the same way that you've talked about how much you love them, I love them too. Uh, and the fact that a queer romance is such a big part of like the central, like, you know, part of like their story. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as I said, like these universes really saved my life when I was a kid. And the idea that I, I feel a tremendous responsibility whenever I get an assignment to make sure I am paying that forward. Um, I write all the time. I just, I just finished my novel and, um, but I can live a hundred years and nothing I write can reach the level, the taproot level, the 12-year-old the who needs this comic um, that, uh, that I was, you know? Um, that's the pleasure and the huge responsibility of working on these properties. It is a very weird, there's nothing quite like it because it's as exclusive as the Olympics and yet every single person who reads it thinks they are exactly as qualified to be doing it. <laughs> 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 Which means the stage and the criticism is like unprecedented. Um, right. And yet uh, I, I feel a real obligation to do it because I do think um, it saved me once. And I if I can save someone else, then it's all work worth doing. That's I love that. It's beautiful. So Chris from Twitter also wants to know, um, uh, are Billy and Tommy mutants? Are they canonically mutants? That is a question for the legal department and not a question. 
Kevin Feige, um, can you answer this, please? Yeah. Now that like you're going to be in, uh, in the MCU. By the uh, way, and- uh, Chris Foken is an amazing artist, and you should check out his stuff. If you like the Young Avengers, his fan art of the Young Avengers, he should have his own book. Um, Ooh. But, oh, yeah, it really good. It was the poster I had at FlameCon. Um, it was that yes. gorgeous yeah. splash. Yeah. 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 Um, no, that was beautiful. Uh, it, it the question of their mutancy is is one that is obviously like who is a mutant is a legal question, right? Like if you say a character is a mutant, you've attached them to one brand rather than the other. Right. You've attached them to an editorial department rather than another. Um, but as the heirs to Magneto, I feel like there is only one answer, right? Uh, but that's that's a story that I would need a lot of runway to tell. So. <laughs> Uh, a six-page Infinity comic, it cannot be, right? Like, wow. that would need a lot of room. Yeah. Um, but it, damn, it would be a story worth telling, wouldn't it? I, I would love it. Um, and also, let's make, you know, Wanda and Pietro mutants again. At least that's my perspective. I mean, it these those characters matter in such a specific and important way that yeah. it will always feel like, to me... And great stories are being told with them, right? Like, and they are, they're characters who existed for decades in their own right, in their own lane. Yeah. Um, but there does seem to me to always be a part of them that has its hand tied behind its back, right? Yeah. Um, I would, lo- I would love to see that a real like House of M moment again. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, their, their dad's dead right now. So. <laughs> we for might for now that's yeah. more runway Charles, yet still yeah. Charles resurrects him and then they have the lover's so, spat you know Charles, Charles, Charles one rainy night is crying on his pillow and just yeah pulls exactly. the trigger on that one exactly uh so uh Chris also wants to know what would a double date between Billy and Teddy and Philovel and Moondragon look like what would they oh that's a fun one because they're they're brother and sister but also don't which one is even older is like the most you need like right. a page just to even talk <laughs> about it <laughs> um i love phyla i love that couple because um you read this their origin story in that that peter david run of their relationship and it's like oof some rough early 2000s kind of energy happening here you know like very post ellen yep i'm gay kind of story like um and i like the idea now that they are kind of the elder gay couple who has seen it all you know like mm-hmm. i have some friends who are like you know the 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 aunties of the village now and they're like making sure <laughs> like, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. Here, hey kids like here's what we used to do back in the day you kids go play have fun here's some dental dams you know like that's kind of the energy <laughs> oh a lot God. of my friends have and i feel like that would be them this kind of exhausting young gay smitten couple sitting across from them i think they would have a lot of patience for them mm-hmm. uh and a lot to teach them um and i would love to also talk see them hash up their family dynamics they're very similar right like there is kind of the the weird goth one and the like (laughs) the like chipper jock of both couples (laughs) right um (laughs) so i think there'd be a lot to do i think billy has a lot of magic to learn actually from moon dragon absolutely Well, so I know that we're going to be waiting for the call to get you back on uh, Young Avengers, but Kevin Feige actually sent us an email before we got onto this podcast. Oh, and he's given you carte blanche (laughs) to write, produce and direct a Young Avengers movie. How would you do it? 
badly probably uh, <laughs> uh i would i would take some of those credits i would not want to direct it i would love to see it directed by someone who knows how to hold a camera um uh what am i doing i'm writing and producing it yeah yeah uh, what do you think is the sell what's the story how do you think you really bring it together given i that? think it's a tv show rather than a movie just because mm-hmm. again i want them to have the room um I think the conceit of the Heinberg run, which is that none of them is what they initially appear to be. Like, mm-hmm. this one's the Hulk. Oops, no, he's Captain Marvel's. This one is Asgardian. Nope, he's actually Wanda's kid, right? Like, that's a fun conceit. I would keep that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea of them being in New York. I love the idea of them being... I would just... I would open with each of them getting ready for school and then we would get to know them that way. Uh, and then, Ooh, I was about to say something that would spoil what I'd want to do in a volume three. Uh, <laughs> I would use my volume three pitch as the TV show. How about that? Ooh, That's what I would do. <laughs> I like that. All right. yeah. We will be uh, waiting for that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, we are an X-Men podcast, so we have to uh-huh. ask, we've already done a little X-Men, but like, do you have any desire to write a specific X book, X character? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I I have actually well, I've tipped my hand at one. Like one book I'd love to do is like would be called The House of M, mm-hmm. and would be about this huge mutant dynasty finally sort of coming into its own and recognizing, um, in the same way that Charles Xavier has built his kind of empire of foster kids at the Xavier Institute, <laughs> Magneto has really created this generational uh power structure right that are at each other's throats but also powerful in their own right like i love the idea of doing like a dynasty gossip girly kind of like this family needs to work together to be one of the great pylons of political power in the marvel universe oh the Um, kardashians i i understand (laughs) yeah yeah maybe how dare you that is that is not the comp i put in the pitch but like (laughs) i do think it's time for this family to come into its own and recognize it is it has nodes in every major power structure in the Marvel. Like they yeah. run, they run an empire in space. They mm-hmm. are linked to the Avengers. They run Krakoa, right? Yeah. Like, um, and the idea of them saying like, well, what if we became something front facing um, and dealt with our own very profound traumas together would be interesting. Do you feel um, like it would be a united force or would you see a lot of, like, are they coming in as like a neutral part? Because obviously like House of Batman had a very distinct, like this is what we're trying to do, but- I would want it to start as like, the the idea is like, what if we were? What if we, mm-hmm. what if we tried? What if yeah. we tried is really the question I would want to ask. Because the, one of the big questions is like, can can these people forgive each other for the decades <laughs> of traumas they visited upon each other and had inflicted upon themselves? Um, Another story I'd love to do is so high concept. I'm not sure I could summarize it without spoiling it, but I would love to do some stuff about touching on what we were talking about earlier of like, well, what if Krakoa was the start? Like, where do we go now? We've all had our kind of island vacation, but it's time to be thinking of next steps. Right. Um, that isn't just another isolationist. That isn't just 
setting itself up to be Genosha too, right? Like mm-hmm. Magneto has done this before. What's different? Um, what is the move that keeps it from happening again, right? Because it does feel like the Sentinels, Orcus are always on the horizon. Right. Um, and I would want to do a story about that. And I, I think I already know who I'd like to pull from it, but you want to be pretty plastic about your um, your roster because you never know who's busy. But there's some that would be needs and some that would be wants for that story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, I love writing a queer character, so I'd love to make sure that they are repped heavily. What a fantastic segue to a question from uh, Instagram fan, the heart farmer. What queer or queer coded X characters are you dying to get your hands on? Ooh, every character is queer coded when I'm writing them. Um, <laughs> right answer, right answer. Um, I mean, I, I think I have more to say with Bobby. Um, I, uh, I would really love to, I, one character I've been obsessed with since I was a kid is Rachel. I think that that's a character who I would really love to write and think about. Um, Again, as kind of an opposite to Bobby, right? Like presumably being from the future, she's got a lid on her stuff. She's got a handle on her sexuality in a way that Bobby didn't. Um, (laughs) I'd love to write her kind of uncle slash uh, child strife, who I think is very (laughs) queer coded uh, and I think would be a fun bring back. Um, uh, But there's, it's nice that there's actually such a deep bench of them. Like I grew up again, executioner song, like tempo is a favorite of mine. Yes. And I feel like thinking about her power set is always so fun and so challenging for a writer um, that that would be a lot of fun too. And that's just off the top of my head. Um, Richter and Shatterstar are the big two that I haven't had a chance to do yet, who have different energy than both Bobby and Wiccan and Hulkling, right? Yeah. As a as a gay couple. Yeah. Um, and it's like, again, you must be reading uh, Steve Orlando's mind because Marauders is quite picking up on many of those characters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, it would be, that's a, that's a great book. Uh, he's kicking ass in that. Um and you know I love a Shi'ar moment. So. Oh yeah, same here. And also I love uh, I love that your contrast with with Shatterstar and Richter because uh, I think you know uh, uh, Billy and Teddy had this like uh, I would I want to call it a chaste romance, but it's very fairy tale. It's yes. very sweet. Meanwhile, Shatterstar and Richter that is I mean they're fucking. I mean for the love of God. I mean and Shatterstar is about as uh, you know as uh, polyamorous as you can imagine right, like right, he's right. just like I just love I have enough love to give I'm from yeah. this crazy ass universe where my father is my son you know nothing <laughs> right. makes sense uh, I'm so. my own grandpa yeah exactly yeah God, I love the X-Men <laughs> what those four fingers do though is what yeah. I, uh, <laughs> also I just love that anybody taking a Rob Layfield character and then making them queer because you know it's just I great. said this before. It's like he's been cursed by a witch. Every character Rob Liefeld <laughs> touches just it turns out queer, right? Like, actually, to be honest, the way I remember which characters are queer is first to be like, which ones are Rob Liefeld characters? Like, I mean, look at how they dressed like back at the time. Like, these were all like buff, pocket filled men that were just like, yeah, with giant guns. And we know what they stand for, right? Come on, Rob. Join the club. Yeah. Richter and Shatterstar is a great, like, they're fucking and they're also not fucking like they have periods where they're not yeah, and then yeah. they, like they're fucking other people richter will get sad about it like that is also a very queer experience um that is neither the bobby like finding himself nor the 
Wiccan and Hulkling current status quo, right? Like right. it would be fun to to write characters who have such a checkered history, who have like sort of scarred each other more than once. Um and who are messy. They're so messy. I, uh, I love what Teeny did in Excalibur by having Richter kind of having this like yearning for apocalypse or Oh yeah. He day, loves a bad like, boy, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, <laughs> oh yeah. World domination. Sign me he up. He loves a battle pit specifically. Like uh-huh. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to switch gears from Marvel and go into some of your independent stuff, specifically Young Men in Love, the queer anthology by Joe Glass. You got to write a story, Act of Grace. Right. Uh, and we talked a little bit about your your own past. So clearly I, I see where some of this is going. You know, you cr- uh, chronicled a burgeoning love between two young men living under, you know, a very Catholic, you know, uh-huh. like chaste gaze. So similar to your flashbacks in Hulkling and Wiccan and early thought, you deal with the mixed emotions of coming out, finding love. Um, you kind of answered this, but love for you to de- delve into it more. What about these stories, you know, draws you to them? Uh, a trauma. <laughs> uh, trauma young men, thing, yeah. Yeah. That, that story is, if you take that story and you take um, the last annihilation story between Wiccan and Hulkling, you would have every beat of my own coming out that I I did come out to a priest in a confessional. That was the first person I told. Wow. Um, the That story is basically word for word. And if you spliced in the scenes of Wiccan and Hulkling reading comics in a hallway, you would have the narrative of my own queer experience, right? Um, and uh, the there's a scene that's in a lot of my fiction called the windows that I think of as the window scene. And it is that scene that Wiccan and Hulkling have where they find each other in this space in the lunch period. Um, that story is 100% autobiographical. The one, the young men in love one, like that arch we see at the beginning is the arch from outside my school. I just sent it to Nick Robles oh, and I was wow. like, it's this school. Uh, that's, this is our tie. <laughs> like that was, this is the chapel where I did it. Like, um, it is probably the most nakedly autobiographical thing I've yet done in a comic other than the Wiccan and Hulkling stuff. So um, I am interested in the ways that these horrible moments sort of that I think of as so intensely personal are actually in a weird way, extremely universal for a lot of us. I sometimes worry that being a queer writer writing for younger people that um I am no longer relevant because I have these traumas that I feel like sometimes the kids don't have. I feel like sometimes I'm like, look at my scars, kids. Like, look at how hard it was. <laughs> but I don't think that's true anymore. I think that um, publishing yeah. wants to believe that there is this kind of we're all liberals and come out to our mm. parents with like birthday cards and like balloons. And it's like, that's not true. That's a very specific like um, cross section of a population that is not representative of a lot of others. And I think there are still a lot of, sadly, a lot of kids having experiences like mine. So um, they all live in Florida, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and kind of expanding this a little bit further, we also did take a look at some of your um, award-winning articles that you wrote, you know, Pride Month is over. Welcome to Wrath Month (laughs) in the village. Um, So tying that in with your short comic and really thinking about all this together um, and obviously with what you kind of just shared, it's unsurprising that there's a, at least from my perspective, a thesis that uh, institutions, whether they be religions, corporations, or police as collective entities are not really there 
for us and us as in a broader queer community sense. I don't disagree in the slightest. I think it's a, a great stance, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, yeah, and I'll that, go, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and now you've indicated, like, this is some of the themes I'd like to write even in the X-Men is like, I feel like the next terrible front, the next uh, fight we'll have to fight is the way that these political and corporate entities love to wear our faces and love to talk about love is love and love wins, mm -hmm. even as they perpetuate and in many ways worsen the the structural, you just mentioned Florida, like there is a way that this horrible apparatus is gearing up again. Um, and yet I always think actually, whenever I write these kinds of things like um, Death in the Village and um, Welcome to Wrath Month is the right in the X-Men, right? Like these horrible robots that have come to kill you but are wearing a big smiley face, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's <laughs> that's corporate pride, right? Like, right. oh, the bank is here, right? And yet we recognize that co-opting and... Um, using their power is advantageous to us. Uh, and yet what have we sold of ourselves to do it, right? Like that was always Charles Xavier's dream. Like, let's just sell all of it, right? Like, mm -hmm. let's let's strap down those wings, kids. You know, like that was his goal. Like we will teach them that we are toothless and not dangerous. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, that's not where I want to end up. So I write pieces like Wrath Month and... Death in the Village was literally, I was watching the news and watching my police chief lie to me about a serial killer after having lied to us for five years previously when we kept saying there was a serial killer in the village. Um, it was a very hard uh, part of Toronto's history and my own history. Like, it's not, it's not good for me to be in a room with a serial killer at his sentencing, right? Like, that was one of the most awful few days of my life but it felt important to me to witness because it was there was a truth and there was what we were being told mm -hmm. um and they were opposites and i think that that is a very common queer experience is watching the world lie to you about yourself and about its intentions and to me all a superhero does is say no you're lying and stands up against that machinery and if they're not doing that i don't think they're really superheroes i think it's just kind of like action figures smashing against other action figures which i'm not interested in at all yeah no i think that i mean everything you said it just totally makes sense and i think you're right in the sense that we are as close to like success while also being farther away from it than ever given how much is at play right now and how much is at stake so i really appreciate the consideration because i think like you're mentioning is like people inclusive of both youth as well as adults need to hear and understand and see these stories because it can be easy to get whitewashed pink washed yeah any sort of combination just to sort of say no everything's fine didn't you get enough uh and so and the offers on the table, right? Of like, you can have a happy life if you sell out your brothers and sisters, right? Like, right. yeah, we'll let you adopt a baby and live in your white picket house with your husband, but these trans people have to go. Like Correct. these yeah. non-passing people have to go. You're gonna have to stop with the femme stuff, right? Um, it's why spaces like drag and stuff matter to me because I think it's important to be non-conforming to challenge these institutions um to not seed the ground is very important to me and there is a degree to which 
um, while I love it and I think it's such an, a fascinating engine for story, part of me wants to think about the ways Krakoa does seed the ground. Like, what are we doing about the kids who aren't on the island, whose parents won't let them go to the island? Like, these are questions I think we need to ask that we are really asking now in our own kind of liberal enclaves as we're watching state by state fall to these uh, transphobic bills, right? Like Florida's terrifying um, and it's the beginning, not the end, right? Um, No, I think, yeah. I mean, (laughs) sadly gonna have to leave it at that to keep fighting the good fight. (laughs) Once Um, again, I've brought the party down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what might bring the party up is a question from another Insta fan, Major Tom of Finland. Love that name. Oh, amazing. Uh, He recently finished The Song of Achilles, which is one of his favorite novels ever. Um, or their favorite novels ever. I don't know what their gender might be. Uh, which Marvel characters may share Achilles and Patrickley's energy? And do you think a similar story can work for them? That's so interesting. Um, because it actually goes back to the Richter and Shatterstar thing, I think. I love that book. Um, great book. This The follow-up, not the same story, but same writer, Cersei, is also really good. Um uh Richter and Shatterstar are this kind of battle couple right and there's like the you know the sensitive one and then the one who is the the killing machine right um the one who's like whole thing is vibes right is very Patroclus (laughs) um (laughs) uh but Song of Achilles specifically is younger than the usual uh Patroclus and Achilles thing it feels like 90s Richter and Shatterstar when they were still Mm -hmm. figuring it out you know right um but that to me is very, whenever I think about um, like battle couples, you got to go there, right? Like this kind of like the martial, um, there is kind of a maskness about Richter and Shatterstar that is not true of the Billy Teddy thing, right? Like it has always been very important to me that um, uh, Wiccan does not pass, right? Like he is clockable as gay. He doesn't have to come out to people because they know he is bullied for it. Whereas... Teddy as a shapeshifter built into the sort of metaphorics of his character is that he could opt to pass, right? Like he is the jock. Mm -hmm. His first story, his origin story is like him being tempted by the kind of alpha jock of the school into enjoying the privilege that would come with that, right? And it's only when he rejects it um, that he can live in a more authentic way. Um, uh, Whereas Achilles and Patroclus are like, well, they they run this shit, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. running the Greek war. Um, although Patroclus' passability is also sort of an interesting question. Um, uh, yeah, Richter and Shatterstar is the short answer. Go read that book <laughs> is the second. <laughs> well, last quick question. Uh, can we get a hint on when we'll, f- and this is from Major Tom as well. Can we get a hint on when we finally get our hands on the Apocrypha, which I finally learned how to pronounce before we recorded that? Oh, Apocrypha <laughs> is my graphic novel. Um, I have written it all. It is with an artist. Graphic novels take a long time because the artist, even if they're doing a page a day, it's a 300 page book. Wow. Uh, so, so that I think they're saying 2025. My prose novel is before that. Dayspring comes out probably within the year. That is also done as of last week. So it is, we have a cover designer, we have a book designer, we are setting pages. And the weird thing about the pandemic is it has created like this many years long backlog of printing issues. Like mm-hmm. you literally have to book your spot in line to be printed. Um, so all those things are done from my end. Logistics are just the only thing keeping them from 
being out as soon as possible. Um, well, when they're out, we'll have to have you back on podcast. Do. But, uh, you know, we mentioned earlier that we uh, got to meet you in person at FlameCon. You got to do this awesome panel. I got to ask you this question. We're going to ask you this again. Uh, mm-hmm. So all of our listeners can can hear your response. But we're giving you I don't remember ball. it. So it'll be like new. <laughs> there you go. There you go. How dare you? You don't remember this question from six. I months. have a mind like a sieve. It doesn't nothing lasts. <laughs> uh, well, giving you a crystal ball, uh, what do you predict is going to happen in the comic industry over the next few years? And then how, as a follow-up, how would you like to see yourself playing a role in it? Hmm. Uh, I think, and this is not just a crystal ball. This is, I feel like I'm reading the tea leaves here more than anything. Like shapes are moving in front of us. I think we are looking at... Um, a shift in the way the industry is thinking about its audience. I think it is a nervous industry that is worrying about, because in many ways it is now being purchased as, as with every industry is being purchased by like telecom companies. It's like, okay, well, our boss is a cell phone. Our boss is Tesla. <laughs> you know? That's so horrifying. <laughs> so, and I think what's interesting is watching the creators and the editors, um, think about what it means to make art under those conditions and I think that increasingly what that means is listening to the youth who are actually reading it Mm -hmm. um, rather than I think for a long time we've been kind of hostage to this idea of the 18 to 45 year old straight white male Mm -hmm. uh, who we think of as dominating the market who doesn't dominate the market? I think the readership is actually much more diverse and much younger than these shitty and aging measures of demographics realize, right? It feels right. like comics are, it feels like the equivalent of like TV that it was still using like Nielsen boxes. It's like, that's yeah, not right. how it works yes. anymore. Yeah. Um. So I think what we'll see is a shift towards digital. I think what we'll see is a shift towards a more plastic form of storytelling, like the Infinity Comics, Mm -hmm. um, over and against what is ultimately a form we've inherited from the 1930s of like 24 pages, staple them together. Um, Distribution models are shifting. Demographics are shifting is the thing that's fun to watch. What role would I like to play? I would love to tell... I would love to get a bit of runway. Like I really would. The Infinity Comics was the most space I've yet had. And if you think about it, it's only 36 pages, right? right? Is that Matt? I'm gay. I can't do math. Six times six is 36. Yeah. That's right. You got it. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) 36 pages is the longest story I've been able to tell. Um, And I would love, you know, a five issue. What's five times 20? That's a hundred. Yay. I would love a hundred pages. We ask the hard hitting questions on this podcast. And it's always about math. Always about math. What's two times a hundred? I would love two story arcs. That would be fun. (laughs) Um, That would be. And to just. uh, I love these sort of quiet stories told in the margins, but damn, it'd be nice to really do the home run earth-shaking story for once yeah Yeah. (laughs) here's hoping pitches are sitting on desks tweet email editors for me i would love that that's like like i said i'm ready to run that campaign and also i love your response about how you know what the demographic used to be the the straight white guy 18 to 40 
it's like the it's the old political consultant will this play in peoria you know like yeah. it's like this like sort of centrist white you know people who you know sit in diners all day and you have the new york times go interview them it's like that's not what america is. that's part of what america is uh or and it's Canada. not uh but it's it's like you know it's much more of a wider diaspora so um, and these characters have an appeal beyond that too like half the tweets i get about young avengers are in portuguese because mm. billy and teddy are huge icons in brazil because of very specific right. historical reasons right like it was their kiss that was banned uh in in That's right. uh, yeah so i so i i'd like thank god i speak portuguese i just i happen to be portuguese <laughs> but like otherwise i would be staring at an incomprehensible feed because yeah. Yeah, I don't think I mattered or uh, meant anything to my parents in terms of success until they saw a fan translation of my comic into Portuguese. Aww. And then they were like, oh, shoot. They were like, can we share this on Facebook? I was like, no, it's definitely it's definitely a bootleg. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so sweet. I love that. <laughs> oh, the sound of that means it's our lightning round. Uh, we are just going to ask you, we'll say one of your favorites. We'll just kind of go back and forth um, yes. instead of saying your favorite because sometimes we'll get locked up. But what is one of your favorite superheroes? Uh, that I haven't written or that I have. Um, just anyone, yeah. I mean, the one that I haven't written... I don't think I've written him at all. Is Spider Man right? Like right, yeah. That's what you mentioned. You want to talk or about Miles Morales or Ben Ben Riley? Uh, all three, because to me, the core of a Spider Man character is not that he has spider powers, but that he is profoundly anxious. And yes. <laughs> can relate. Can relate. Because that's all a spider sense is. Is like my anxiety is tingling. Like I, yeah. I love that network of characters, uh, and it's a corner I haven't gotten to play in yet. Yeah. at all i've gotten in weird ways to write a lot of my favorites like i got to write a monologue for dr doom um i got to write christoph i feel like we really resurrected christoph yes. from yeah. truly the grave but like it's like have it feels like a lot of my infinity comic was like have you noticed this fascinating and amazing character exists and would you like to see more it was definitely i would love to do a christoph story that would be fun yeah. too uh all time and current comic that you haven't written, somebody else has written. Uh, all, oh, see, but I have no taste. Um, <laughs> right, it's Rob Layfield's expert. <laughs> I am one of Rob Liefeld's queer characters that he created in many <laughs> Amazing. Ways. I haven't uh, seen your feet either, Anthony. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I do have really small feet with very high arches. <laughs> uh, little goat hooves. Um, I, all time favorite story not because it's any good but because it is seared into the architecture of my brain is the executioner's song yeah um did you say what was the other part current or yeah current comic that you're reading uh i love reading anything al ewing is up to i feel like He's he so resonates good. on a really and it's i don't feel right choosing a favorite and i'm not choosing a favorite but al and i resonate on a like there's a real sad boy energy in Al's work that I sympathize with. Um, 
but watching Kieran get to take a swing at bat is also a joy. Like now yeah. I'm now I'm choosing favorite. Like Leah's doing an amazing work. <laughs> Tina's Tina's doing amazing work. Steve's doing amazing work. So it's like uh, not fair to talk about. I guess embarrassment oh, of the Xbox. Yeah. You know what's really exciting to me right now? Uh, Ryan's killing it on Fantastic Four, and it's like Ooh. such a fresh breath of fresh air happening in there too. I need to give that a try. I really love his. I loved uh, Squirrel Girl, um, and I haven't read his Fantastic Four yet, but I really want to read it. It feels like the thing I was just talking about of like, yeah, he's gotten to do like the fun stuff, but Ryan is also one of like the great current thinkers on like science fiction and time travel stories. Mm-hmm. And that way he was doing it for fun and Squirrel Girl is like now like, what if we took right. like, what if you gave him the runway to really do it? Yeah. Um, and it's so satisfying to see him just like firing on all cylinders like that. Let's do horror movie. What is your favorite? Ooh, one of my favorites, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, the gay one where. Um... That's the first one I ever watched, too. Really? A lot of people. Yeah, before the first one. Yeah. It came out in Europe before the first one. A lot of a lot yeah. of European people think of the first one as the sequel to uh, number two. Oh, that's um, wild. Super you gay. Gloria interview, didn't you? With I the, did. With we Mark were trying Patton. to find it online. It's nowhere to be found. Fangoria is very much an old guard print magazine only. Um, yeah. It was. A, I can send it to you if you want. But it was an interview with Mark Patton. The he was the kind of like quote unquote final girl of that one. Yeah. yeah. And it ruined his life in a lot of ways because yeah. like everyone blamed him, even though the story is so obviously gay. Yeah. Um, they were like, no, it's because he was so femme. Uh, and it's been having a real reclamation, and I love that one. I also really like Child's Play for similar reasons. Are you watching the uh, new TV series? I'm not yet. I will, but I feel like part of me needs to revisit a lot of... I know I know these 80s franchises are very choose-your-own-adventure about which ones you think of as canon, but part of me wants to redo a lot of the like Chucky's Bride stuff. Before you really do because yeah, no, this is hilariously enough because uh, God, I forget the creator's name, but he's continued to be involved. So like it follows up. I have never watched, what was it? Chucky? Cult. It was like Cult. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, but like it is a direct through line of those movies. They catch you up pretty quickly. But I think if you have the passion for it, which sounds like you do, I would highly recommend. Yeah, that's one of the ones where, what's his name? Um, queer creator who did Child's Play is like unusually controlled the brand the whole time. So Yeah, no, good for him. Uh, and then uh, who's your favorite drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race? Uh, Any drag, drag queen. If you oh, go this isn't fair because I know a lot of the Canadian. Yeah, you really did rattle <laughs> off a lot of them. Yeah. You can do Dragula as well, so make yeah. it harder. Yeah, there you go. Uh, no, that's not good either because then I would also be choosing favorite. Okay, wait. None of my friends <laughs> have been on Dragula except Yavska. So Yavska. There when go. I think about doing a book launch, I want Yavska there dressed as the devil. Like oh, that. Oh, amazing. Her looks are. Maybe even <laughs> like Madeline Pryor, Goblin Queen. I'm just obsessed with that. Yeah. yeah. We'd have to teach them who they are because I don't think Yavska reads <laughs> comics, but uh, they're more of an anime. Their, their Twitch stream is great if you're ever looking oh, for something man. fun cool. to do. Uh, but I can't choose a favorite. Absolutely. Although I am watching the Queen of Queen, the Legends of Legends season mm. and Raja and Jinx are just killing it every Incredible. week. Like uh, Amazing. Raja is my queen. I've always loved her since season three and Jinx fucking just destroyed it in this in this most recent uh, All-Star season. So. She's just unstoppable. That yeah. that Mary Queen of Scots look. They're both yeah. amazing. Like The Louis Couture's Mary Queen of Scots duo they do for the opening is so good. 
Uh, that Judy, Judy Garland. Garland. The yeah. Judy Garland. <laughs> oh, yeah. Iconic. I've seen it 17 times at least. Um, Where's my camera? Is this my camera? Yeah. <laughs> so wrapping us up for the lightning round, we now have Mary Fuck Kill. Uh, so first up, we've got Hercules, Marvel Boy, and Avalanche. Oh. Um, I think... Mm, I think Mary Avalanche... Uh, um, he's 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 definitely trade but i feel like he'd be a good <laughs> he'd be a good i think he'd be a good partner he was a good partner to pyro back yes. in the day um hercules you can't you never marry hercules because you will die like <laughs> yes. everything like that's just how it goes he will hit you in the face with a frisbee or you'll put on a poison dress like it's just not a good long-term <laughs> decision right um Marvel Boy, Marvel Boy, as long as you understand that what you're getting with Marvel Boy is a one night stand, he's probably an excellent fuck, right? Like that's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Those three always are. I mean, come on. Yeah. And I think you have to kill Hercules mostly because he'll come back. You don't have to worry. Hey, about... oh, that's a guy. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a god. He's, he's practically a god. <laughs> he won't take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go to the bad guys. Uh, Dormammu, the zombie Cree intelligence or Tanoth. Excuse me. Oh, uh, um, the, the zombie Cree intelligence, you, you gotta kill. Like, that's not good (laughs) for anybody. It's a fascist. It's made of fascists. Like, it's the hive mind of a million dead fascists. Get rid of that. Um, what does that leave? Mary Tanolf. Although I feel like I haven't written her. Because I I knew when I was writing her that it was actually our call in disguise. So I've never mm-hmm. actually written Tanolf. Um, but I think the original Tanolf, if there was one, I don't even remember if she was a real person who got erased now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, but she seems like a, she'd be great. You'd marry her. Uh, what does that leave? Dormammu. Uh, fuck Dormammu. Oh boy. Yeah, you know what? That's fine. That, you, yeah, you have the to. The devil's a good you fuck. You come to bargain. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he's a very specifically like Order of the Golden Dawn, like Aleister Crowley style demon. So like he would be a good fuck. Like he's definitely been to an orgy or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we do have a big drum roll. Our final one is uh, Josh Trujillo, Steve Orlando and Steve Fox. No, I can't <laughs> do that. Not at all. No way. And they are Not all listening. The answer is yeah. marry all of them. because they're. All- I love you all. We're all married. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> These are all my husbands. No. Oh, they're, they're the best. And so are you. Oh Thank you. Absolutely well. love it. Uh, thank you again, Anthony, for joining us for Creator Crash. We're looking forward to reading more of your stuff soon. Um, and obviously up until 2025 when the uh, your 300-page um, graphic novel comes out. Uh, I may be dead, but the books will still be coming out. <laughs> yeah. that. That's It's your <laughs> secret to immortality, right? Uh, where can our listeners find you? Is there anything else you'd like to plug? We just want to hear more from you uh, and give more. Uh, I think... If Twitter lasts till next week, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm on every mo- most platforms. I shouldn't say every platform anymore because there's. It feels like new ones are evolving that have not yet taken shape. Yeah. But did you do, did you join the Hive train? Are you on? There was Hive? like a day. I woke up one day yes. and every every user was suddenly on Hive, and I was like, should I get a Hive? And then the next day, Hive was like canceled, and they were like, <laughs> Hive is owned by Hydra, and I was like, oh no, like. <laughs> <laughs> like 
uh, yeah, like high. They were like, actually, Cobra Commander runs Hive. I was like, ah, <laughs> damn it. Still better than Elon, though. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's true. Yeah, lateral move at best, and perhaps right. at least more competent. Like, yeah, for um, sure. But on Instagram and Twitter, at least, I am Mia Koopa. Bad Latin Super Mario joke. M e a k o o p a. Um, things to plug. Uh, nothing announced. A bunch of pitches sitting on desks that I hope you will all be noisy about wanting to see. Um, Dayspring, my prose book about the uh, the story of the Gospels told from the point of view of the beloved disciple is coming out this new year. Um, that is to say, at some point in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Apocrypha, the story, a YA book, YA graphic novel about queer teens versus the Christian apocalypse will come out uh, in 2025, I think. Amazing. Uh, as for us, we're on Twitter at Homo Superior X and on Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast. If there are any other great writers, artists, and all things nerds, culturistas, I do not know how to pronounce that, you'd like to hear us chat with, make sure. It's apocrypha. It's to our apocrypha. Yeah, I learned apocrypha. <laughs> I didn't learn the rest of our rap. Right. Uh, but let us know. Slide into our DMs. We can't wait to hear more. And thank you again. Um, Anthony, so much great, so such a great time having this you. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, right, and happy holidays, everybody. Bye. Bye.